0: How are you guys going? Who's glad to be on holidays? That's good. Boo, all right. Someone's a school fan. Fair enough. Hey, um, are you guys ever surprised by God? Does who He is and what He's like ever shock you? See, I reckon your answer to that question will probably depend... Uh, on what you expect from God. See, our expectations, what we think sh- things should be like, is going to shape how we react to things, what surprises us. So, who here is ever shocked when your parents give you like a Christmas present at Christmas? You're like, oh, what a surprise, a present. No one, because you're, oh, some of you are you got a rough life, but for most of us, right, we, we expect a present at Christmas, and so you're not surprised when you get one. Um, last week up at Junior's, there was a surprise present. Sully whipped out a, like, a bunch of flowers for tomorrow, and I don't think any of us saw that coming when he gave that particular present, right? Um, have you ever like, received a present from someone randomly when you weren't expecting it? It's then that you're surprised, when you're like, oh, I don't realize we're that good of friends, but thank you, or whatever. That, that's, that's when you get surprised. What do you expect from God? What do you expect God's like? I reckon some of us think of God like this. This is kind of friendly, loving Jesus. He's seen here in this picture, helping a little boy discover a butterfly in a garden. And it looks like he probably uses the same shampoo, conditioner combo as my wife. And he just looks like... He looks like a really friendly guy. And I reckon for a lot of people, that's kind of the standard view of God that they have. Friendly, happy, loving God. The guy that you come to when things get tough. The one who's always there to forgive your sins no matter what you've done. Maybe your expectation, maybe your presumption is that this is what God is like. Or it could be that maybe you think that God's actually like this. Angry pointing God. Maybe you've got this view of God where God is just angry at everything and he just hates everything and his job is to sit there and point at the world and just pretty much be a buzzkill and just bring everything down because he's just furious at everything that's ever happened in the world, angry, point at your face, God, right? So what do you expect from God? What do you expect God to be like? My goal tonight is to surprise us as we look at God's Word. I want us to be surprised at the God that we meet in these pages tonight. I want us to be blown away by who He is and what He's like. Because He's much more complex than just like friendly, happy butterfly God or just angry, pointing God. There's much more to God than those kind of two caricatures there. God is huge, God is wonderful, and tonight we're going to sit out in His Word. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at this passage together. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that tonight, please, you would... Blow us away with who you are. Lord, many of us have known you for a long time and we pray that tonight you would again recapture us afresh with how good you are, how wonderful you are. And, and Father, some of us here don't know you. We pray that tonight we might find out who you are and perhaps even turn to you for the first time. We pray that all of this would be for your son's glorious name. Amen. Alright guys, here's the first thing I want you to see in Micah chapter 7, and it's, and it's this. God is more terrifying than we could ever imagine. God's more terrifying than than you might ever imagine. So over the last bunch of weeks we've been working through Micah and we've been hearing about this nation Assyria that's coming for God's people. They're under attack, they're coming their way and in verse 14 because of this army that's invading Micah calls out to God. Look at verse 14, he's saying to God, hey God, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. He's saying God... Save us, be like a shepherd to us, guard us from this enemy that's coming. And please make us like sheep that are like in a happy green field with lots of food to eat. God, come and be our shepherd, be our defender, rescue us from this invading army, is what Micah says. Verse 15, God replies back to him. Look at verse 15, God's reply. And he says, "'As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I'll show them my wonders.'" Now, you might be like, cool, God's going to show some wonders. He's going to do a mag- magic trick, kind of like, uh, 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 like do, do some cool tricks, pull a rabbit out of a hat. No. Do you remember what the wonders that God showed the people were when he brought them out of Egypt? Plagues. Hectic stuff. God brought judgment on the enemies of his people. Rivers turned to blood. Animals got killed all over the place. Pests came and ate all their food. Um, meant hail and fire rained out of the sky, it went dark for three days and then finally the firstborn of every household, the firstborn son of every household died. Last time God showed his wonders in the exile in Egypt, didn't put on a magic show, he rescued his people but he brought hectic judgment on God's enemies. And God's saying here in verse 15, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you just like that. Which means good news for God's people and bad news for his enemies. And so in verse 16, if you have a look with me, you can see how the enemies of God and his people react or how they're going to react. Look at verse 16, it says, the nations will see and be ashamed. They'll be deprived of all their power. These invading Assyrians that are coming, remember like, uh, what do we call it? Was it Korea? I think we're going in invading Australia. These guys who are coming from afar and taking them out, they're going to be brought to nothing. Then the second half it says, they'll, they'll put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. You know when you kind of, sometimes you might blurt something out that you probably shouldn't have and you're kind of like... <gasps> and you kind of almost want to eat your words up again because you shouldn't have said it. Uh, you're know. Like you like, how about you uh, go to the principal's office, Mrs. Brown, or whatever, and you kind of like say this thing, and you're like, oh, and you almost want to eat your words back up, hand over your mouth kind of thing. That's going to be God's enemies here. They've been talking trash. They've been bagging out God's people. They've been bagging out God. And he says they're going to put their hands over their mouths. It's going to be as if their ears are deaf. Verse 17, they're going to be groveling, dragging themselves along the ground. Verse 17, they will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They'll come trembling out of their dens, out of their homes, and they'll turn to fear the Lord our God, and they'll be afraid of you. God is going to completely humiliate and crush and bring low his enemies, Now, all throughout Micah, we've been hearing about this army, this invading army of the Assyrians that's coming for God's people. And they do come. History tells us they did. They invaded most of Israel. They ended up taking over the whole country except for the city itself and they laid siege around it. And the army camped around the city and it was looking pretty dark for God's people. And then God came to the rescue. You hear about what happens in a part of the Bible called 2 Kings chapter 19. It's up on the screen. Assyria has surrounded the city of Jerusalem, look at what God does. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And when the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Imagine, you're hauled up in a city under siege for three years, and then God's angel comes through, and there's just bodies everywhere. It's like Gosford Shire, dead outside the city, 185,000 people killed through God's judgment. Anyone on the wrong side of God should rightly be terrified of him. It's a Good thing to be afraid of this God. Guys, there's so much more to God than the preschooler, hugging, shampoo and conditioner, butterfly, garden God that we sometimes think of God as. This God should be rightly feared. So guys, if you don't know where you stand with this God, He's still the same God of the Bible, the Old Testament, New Testament, this is God. If you don't know where you stand with Him, you've you got to sort yourself out with Him. Don't pretend you can just ignore Him and keep Him at a distance forever. You might choose to do that for the rest of your life, and it may seem fine, but one day you will meet Him face to face. And you need to know where you stand with Him. None of us can afford to not sort ourselves out with this God. So guys, I want to urge you, seriously think about where you stand with this God. Secondly, though, I want to say this. If you're a Christian, know the good news that God's enemies and therefore your enemies will be crushed by this mighty God. Now we don't have physical enemies like Israel did and God doesn't work the same way with countries that he did back then. So it's not as if God's attached himself to some countries these days where he's going to win all our wars for us or something like that. But God's people do have a fierce enemy who hates them, who's out to get them, who wants to bring us down, the devil. He's real. And did you notice the reference to in verse 17 there? It says that they will lick the dust like a snake. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, when God curses the snake, the devil, he says, you're going to crawl on your belly and you'll eat the dust all the days of your life. And then a few, day, a few verses later, he says that, hey, one of your descendants, Adam and Eve, one of your descendants is going to crush this serpent. So the ancient enemy of God's people, the devil, is right there in verse 17. little hint that not only is God going to crush this Assyrian army, which he did, as we saw in 2 Kings, God will crush the devil. See, I don't know what you guys make of the devil. I reckon there's at least two mistakes you can make when it comes to the devil. The first mistake is to think too little of him. To just pretend that he's kind of like a silly fairy tale or something like that, and treat him as if he doesn't exist. That would be a mistake. The other mistake, though, is to... Make too much of him, to give him more credit than he deserves, to fear him more than we should, to be more afraid than we should. Because here in Micah, what we see is God who rules, who's powerful. And he's greater than the devil. He's stronger, he's mighty, and he'll crush his enemies. And that's good news. And guys, that's exactly what Jesus has done to the devil. At the cross where Jesus died... Satan was once and for all defeated. His power was broken. Satan's the one who stands before God and accuses us of our sin. His name is the accuser in other parts of the Bible. But because of the cross, because of Jesus' death, there's nothing left to accuse us of. His power to accuse us of our sin is broken. And so ultimately, God's people don't need to fear the devil. We should be We should be cautious. He may bring temptation, he may bring lies, things may be hard. He's like a roaring lion, but ultimately he's a lion that's fighting a losing battle. The devil has lost because Jesus defeated him at the cross. Our enemies are crushed by our mighty God. He's a fierce God. Now, I hope you guys are surprised by who our God is. He's more than butterfly garden God, right? He's huge, he's powerful, he's terrifying. But here's the second thing I want us to see tonight, and this is is wonderful. God's forgiveness is better than we could ever imagine. So much better than we could ever imagine. Verse 18, Micah stops talking about God's enemies, and he just reminds us of who God is. Check it out, verse 18. He says... And who's a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Micah here is blown away by God. He's completely blown away. What kind of a God is this? who delights to show mercy, who forgives like that. We've just heard how terrifying he is, right? Now, he's the one who crushes his enemies so that they're grovelling in the dust, right? But then he's the one who forgives. He doesn't stay angry forever. He'll have us back. He's such a good God. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that this God who's so powerful and mighty and scary could also be the one who forgives like that? So what about Our sin. What about the fact that we do the wrong thing? What about the fact that we've done things that essentially make us enemies of God? Look at verse 19. Look at what God does with our sin. He says, You'll again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. You'll hurl our iniquities, our failures to obey, into the depths of the sea. It's this picture of God like treading on our sin like a cockroach that you stomp on in your kitchen. God chucking our sin to the bottom of the ocean. As far as you could remove something from someone else, he chucks it into the depths of the sea. Like, it's not like they had scuba diving gear and submarines and stuff and they could go get it from the bottom of the sea. Like when stuff went to the bottom of the sea, it's gone. It's like saying God's hurled our sin into outer space. It is that far gone from us because of Jesus. God removes our sin once and for all. Not by just turning a blind eye and pretending that we're not that bad, but by actually paying for it with the costly blood of Jesus. Check out this next verse up on the screen here. This is from another part of the Bible, 700 years before Jesus turned up, but it's looking forward to the one who would come and pay for our sin. Isaiah 53 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. On the cross, guys, Jesus died in our place. We'd sinned, and so he carried it for us. We deserved to die, and so he died for us instead. We deserved God's judgment, and he faced that on our behalf. A few years ago in China, there was an earthquake that kind of devastated a whole bunch of the country. Um, and I was reading all about it today. Um, there's this picture that went around big time all over the net a few years ago of a mum... Um, with a child in the rubble and and she's dead Uh, and in the pictures you can see this mum kind of cradling her her little boy, kind of covering the little boy with her body, kind of surrounded by rubble Um, and so basically what's happened is the building's coming down around them and she's gone to protect her son and so she puts her own body between the falling building and her son hoping that somehow she might shield him from the rubble. It's a picture of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He placed himself between the right anger of God at our sin, he placed himself square in front of it and took it instead of us and so he died so that we might live. That's the forgiveness of our amazing God. It's good, it's huge. What kind of a God is this that does that, that lays his own body on the line for his people? Can you see why Micah says in verse 18, who's a God like you? Have you ever heard of another God like this? No other religion has a God that would come and die for its creation. That's what our God has done. But somehow, I think as Christians, sometimes I think we get used to this. And so Jesus' death, God's outrageous forgiveness, becomes normal. It becomes expected. And so we start to take it for granted. And instead of being amazed by God's grace, sometimes we'll ask questions like this. We'll say, you know, how come God, sure, it's great that he saves some people, but how come God doesn't save everyone? Isn't that a bit mean of God, not to save everyone? Now, I get why people would ask that question. That's not a bad question to ask. Feel free to ask it right. But I think behind that is an assumption that we make. And the assumption that's there is actually, I think humans deserve to be saved. I think all people actually deserve God's grace. But that's not what grace is. Grace is an undeserved gift. It's been given something when you don't deserve it. And so when we kind of say things like, well, how come God doesn't show grace to everyone? That's a bit unfair or he's not very good anymore. I think behind that is a misunderstanding about what grace is. And I think sometimes in the way we think about God's grace to us, we can think of him as the one whose job it is to forgive us. And he better do it, and he better do it for everyone. And so I think we can a little bit become like like a spoiled kid. You know, a kid you see in the shops or whatever, whose parents seem to be pretty good to them and generous in every sense. Um, But, you know, they're chucking a tantrum because their mum and dad won't buy them the next video game or whatever. And it's like, you've got so much, you've been given so much, And you're just having a little tantrum in Kmart. We can take God's grace for granted. We can actually tell ourselves that we deserve it. But I think when you get to that point, something's gone wrong big time. God is a God who should be feared, He's full of holy right anger. And we've done the wrong thing. We don't deserve God's grace we don't deserve forgiveness and yet this God is the one who offers it to us anyway in spite of our sin. He's a God who forgives and so that is incredible, not deserved but an incredible gift from God. And so guys, if you're a Christian, I want you to be recaptured again tonight by the incredible immense goodness of our God and never take his forgiveness for granted. Never say, I've learnt that, I'm over that, I need to move on or what. No, no. Never take God's forgiveness for granted. Who is a God like you, says Micah? Does God's grace excite you? Does it just kind of bubble out of you every, every chance, every conversation you have, just because it's so incredible that it's just kind of captured you like that? I find it really easy to get excited about lots of things. The next NBA basketball season, if you talk to me about that, I could talk to you about that all night, right? And It's just kind of a natural result of me being excited about it. Why aren't I more excited about God's grace, God's goodness? Nothing's better than that. Why doesn't that just pop up in every conversation I have? Be captured by the goodness of God. That's something to get excited about. And guys, if you don't know this God, I really want you to get this. There is no one better that you could know than this God. There is no one worth knowing more than Him. He offers you forgiveness eternal life as a free gift of grace. You don't earn it. It's not about being good enough to get it. He gives it to us for free if your trust is in Jesus. There's, there's no one better to know than this God. So, guys, I want to urge you, come back to him. I know many of you don't know this God. Come back to this God because he's so worth knowing. Talk to a leader tonight and say, hey, I, I want to know this God that we always talk about. Tell me about him. I want to know how to become a Christian. I'm going to pray that we'd be captured again by the grace of God. I'm going to pray that some of us tonight even might come back to him. Let's pray. Father God, please, Lord, fill our hearts with joy at what you've done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, Lord, would that news of the gospel excite us and capture us more than anything else. Lord, please let us never grow cold that incredible message of your salvation, your grace. Father, for those of us here tonight who, for whatever reason, still haven't come back to you, I pray that they might. Please, Lord, I pray, help help them to even come home tonight. Please be working in us as we hang out, as we talk, as we pray later on. Amen.